0: Hello listeners, welcome back to yet another episode of the Digital Adoption Show Season 2. We hope that you are really having a gala time listening to all of these episodes jam-packed with a lot of knowledge, fun and organizational learning experiences. So in today's episode, we would be discussing around the accidental instructional design. Doesn't the topic sound so cool? I personally loved it. So Season 2, Episode 5 features Nebu Thomas, who is the Director of Information Development at WhatFix, along with Lars Hecker, who is the Group Instructional Design Specialist at Merthor. Welcome again to another edition of the WhatFix Digital Options Show. And today we have Lars Hecker from the Marcel Group. Lars, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, uh... Nibu, and uh, thank you for, for having me on the show. I've been, been really looking forward to this uh, day. It's, it's, it's great to be Let me uh, allow
0: you to introduce yourself. I think you would do a better job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will do that. Well, the short version is that I'm hailing from Denmark. I am the Group Instructional Design Specialist here at Messel Group, a software-as-a-service company that aims to be the preferred e-tendering and procurement platform in Europe. And the fun thing is, I do not have a background in education at all, but I do have a master's degree in human-computer interaction, specialized in habits, and to be honest, I have quite a broad professional background. So I started my short-lived career as a sailor before making my way through business world in marketing, sales, public, public procurement, and contract management, and well... Today, I am Group Instructional Design Specialist.
0: Wow, you're a sailor. Uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> short lived let me say that, short lived
0: <laughs> Yeah, so that's been quite a journey and a very interesting journey, if I might add. So this podcast is called the Accidental Instructional Design And then like I tried to, us- to
1: prep that topic a little bit.
0: <laughs> right, like many of us, we, we fall into the careers that we do for a long time by accident. So how did this accident happen to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Kemi Bean, who actually wrote the book on being an accidental instructional designer and who showed the community that many IDs actually do come from odd backgrounds. More true for me is maybe that I've become an ID accidentally on purpose. What does that mean? For quite many years, I had this gut feeling that education is absolutely underappreciated and that it has huge potential long-term. Personally, I come from a family of teachers, librarians, kindergartners. I mean, what do you expect, right? So when I got hired as a consultant from Masell in 2017, I actually wasn't, it wasn't to become an instructional designer at all, but but I had this gut feeling. So I had to do something about that. And and. Yeah, so so that that's how the the accident happened.
0: And for anyone who's listening to this podcast and doesn't know what an instructional designer does, could you give us a day in, in your life? What does it look like and what do you normally do?
1: Sure, sure. I mean, unfortunately, instructional designer has become this bucket for anything and anyone working with some kind of training, and of course, a lot of this depends on the organization you work at. The sides of your team and and how mature their LND journey is, but basically for quite some time I've been a one man army. I'm no longer, but still I'm switching between being in in the role as the training manager and the idea. So these past months, just to. Take a little bit uh, out of my my everyday life here at Marcel. Our little team worked intensively on setting the strategic direction, developing our learning content strategy, aligning that strategy with our business goals, as well as implementing our tech stack, including WhatFix. And with whatever time that is left, we manage the execution and delivery of education services and creating training content. So that's that's what my life as an instructional designer looks like these days
0: great great that was uh, very so you're making it sound very interesting but uh, is there another side to to id so for 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 somebody who's trying to get into this field what advice would you have for them
1: yeah i mean a lot of advices so so if i reflect back on on the way i've broken into to id i mean i took chances I surrounded myself with the right people, people that share my vision and that can help me to open the right doors. Also make sure to cut them in. I've been working with myself for almost five years now and my career in L&D didn't really take off before I got my current manager. So I, I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that no man is an island. And um, to be honest, my manager, my coworkers, and even suppliers – they are all instrumental in my journey. The second advice I would give is be yourself. One of the thought leaders in in customer education brands himself as a rebel entrepreneur. If that fits your personality, go for it, own it. I would brand myself as being a diplomat. I like to build rapport and alliances. I play the political game in the organization. It's that tat for tat, give a little, take a little game. And, and that suits my style and my personality. So so in that sense, that would be my, my two advice to, uh, to to someone who wants to break into to ID.
0: Great. Your, your story reminds me of one of my folks who joined wot uh, sometime last year. So I was looking to hire freshers and teach them something about information design. And I received a ton of applications. But this one guy, what he did was, he did something more. Right? He went to our website, looked at our support content, and identified a few issues. And he mm-hmm. said, oh, this is how you can fix it. Too. <laughs> so it's this, guy, this is somebody who's never, he's a fresher, right? And look at their thought of how, how he's put his feet to open the door for him are we able to stand apart from those tons of resumes that you get right right so so my next question is what are some of the skill sets that you need to develop or have as uh, you progress or join us in
1: id yeah i mean i guess it depends on the mission you're on and your professional background where you're coming from so so kind of look into the direction where i'm going and where I'm coming from. Because I come from a background in human-computer interaction, so I already knew how people learn, the mechanics of habits and all that. But in my nine-to-five at a SaaS company, it also helps tremendously to have a general understanding of the basics of UX, marketing, sales, communication on the one side, and, and definitely also tech development and HR process on the other side. I mean, you will develop strengths that are unique to you. And as your team grows, you can balance these uh, strengths across the team. As an ID, as an educator, you must walk that talk. We cannot preach continuous learning if we don't have that mindset ourselves. A perfect example is when I took over the project with WhatFix, implementing that in, in at Mercel. I've never written a single line of JavaScript. Now I have more than one even. So, so I mean that's that's this continuous learning mindset that you need around this. Depending where you're from and and what your your mission is, that that's that's been my path.
0: Right. I would say the same thing for almost every other uh, position, right? You'd need to have that mindset uh, to want to learn, right? You have the mm-hmm. willingness issue, and then you can with that willingness, I think you can learn any kind of skill. So. Over, over the course of your um, career so far and now at ID, what are some of the breakthroughs that you've seen that have kind of disrupted the way learning happens in organizations?
1: That, that's that, That's one of the most interesting topics actually, for me at least, because I really like to, to drill down into the history of education, where it does come from, where where it is now and where it's going to, and I mean, because above all, we are still governed by the same principles of education principles that go way back to the old greek philosophers for example plutarch said that the mind is not a vessel that needs filling but wood that needs igniting that's still true so we are supposed to what we are supposed to do is to take these age old governing principles and put them into the context of today's day, day and age not just on the tech side of things, but also on the social side of things. As something like diversity, equity, and inclusion. I mean, as educators, we have more tools at our disposal than ever before. And that opens a whole range of new opportunities to deliver learning content. In a workplace context, we can now deliver training in the flow of work. If your go-to tool at work is a computer or a mobile device, we can use tools like what fix to deliver help on screen and in app. If you're a mechanic or you're a doctor, we can use virtual or augmented reality to achieve something similar. Speaking of which, I mean, we have the tech to do advanced simulation today. Combining these governing principles with cutting-edge research on how we learn and with the broad range of tools that that's accessible to us. Boy, there are so many use cases that yet have to be explored. And I I can see a lot of companies that are already doing this, car companies who who digital twins of their cars uh, that you can explore every single uh, bolt and screw and see where you can improve that and learn about the car in ways that you haven't been able to do before. So that's that's quite interesting for me.
0: Yeah, those exploded views of uh, those drawings and all, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, and and that you can take this virtual car and you can just keep on splitting it, uh, or if you're if you're a surgeon, that you can you can actually go in and 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 fail without the consequences, and 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 the the AI could could determine that, that this cut is, is is a lethal cut and all that kind of things. So, so there's there's huge opportunity in this field.
0: Great. Another approach that is commonly used in today's age is gamification yes. what are your thoughts on gamification of learning <laughs> and what are some alternatives because everybody doesn't want to play a game
1: yeah exactly i, I and i agree with you uh, nibu uh, um oh boy <laughs> this is this is how i'm becoming wildly unpopular with the community at, in the first podcast i'm i'm participating in well i mean gamification To be honest, gamification is a difficult topic. I know there's a big hype around it, and and I also get why. If well done, it looks really, really cool. It's immersive, and to be honest, being in L&D, we are content creators at the end of the day. We are all competing for attention alongside marketers, game designers, and so on. So if we can wrap our content around the mechanics of casual gaming and then get the attention of our learners, Well, that's okay, isn't it? But, (laughs) here comes the but. That being said, I'm an academic to the bone. And I want to see the research body that uh, supports the hypothesis that gamification improves learning outcomes. And correct me if I'm wrong. And I really love to hear from the community, actually. But from what I can gather, there's no substantial evidence that supports the idea of gamification being Particularly, particularly beneficial to the learner. So, I mean, and I, I, maybe it's because gamification doesn't address the core problem. What outcome do we want to reward? Do we want to reward that our customers can go through the motions, some predefined set of actions, or do we want to, our customers to be able to use our apps to achieve whatever outcome they need to achieve? Commercially, I'm interested in jobs to be done. Because the more jobs our apps help our customers to get done, the more valuable are our apps in the space that we're competing in. And you ask about alternatives. So for, for, for the, from, from my little pond in, the, in this game, I'd rather invest in some form of virtual apps or a simulated environment. That way I can provide the users a safe environment where they can do all the mistakes before they go out in the real world. Where they can try scenarios that you can perform in our application, but nobody else ever has thought about. So really going creatively into that, work creatively with our platform. So so that would be my my investment um, into this.
0: Okay. So you mentioned mistakes. Let me go a little bit off script here. Do you mm. think that people who are learning something are uh, are scared? to commit mistakes. And therefore, the learning system needs to address that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we all want to be successes in our own right. We, we want to do the right thing. And, 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 but to do the right thing, you need to do mistakes, because that's how we learn. That's how we progress as human beings. And if, we can use training to do these mistakes, to do these honest mistakes that everyone will do at some point, but we can do this in a safe environment in a controlled environment. And then when we are out there in our jobs, we can go 110% and do our, the best that we, we ever possible can achieve and succeed because we have learned what we shouldn't be, be, be doing. That, that's, that's key in this one for me, actually.
0: Okay. Just to add to that, you know, I, I think it also depends on uh, how critical that operation is. Like, for example, you don't have sure. a surgeon um, going in uh, live into an operation. They would probably sure. cut into a cadaver and <laughs> <so> maybe <laughs> an onion or a, or a pineapple first before, you know working on a live model but at the same time if you wanted to learn swimming there's no amount of you know any kind of movements that you do in land that's going to teach you how to learn swimming you have to get into the water
1: yeah exactly you cannot do the theoretical swimming the same for for classroom training i mean you can you can read all the books Let, let's say for 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 ids as us we can read all the books about id on how people learn but um Doing that in practice is of course the 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 game changer that's where you really will see what works and what doesn't work and and you're perfectly right it's it's depends on the how mission critical your work is and and what the consequences are and the bigger the consequences are i believe the the more need there is to to have safe environments too because we have the technology now so that's that would be my message
0: Great. Right. You also made a very interesting point earlier on where you said you were competing with, you know, everybody else for the attention of the user, you know, marketing and sales and and everybody outside as well. So what are some of the challenges that you face as an ID other than this, even, even when it comes to the attention, getting the attention of the user and, you know, keeping him focused on on something that he needs to learn? Yeah,
1: yeah I mean... Yeah, the, the, there are there are multiple challenges if we talk about attention first of all in, in 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 these times and days there are a lot of other things that can grab our attention uh, a lot of things are designed to grab our attention both healthy and unhealthy ways but today we have so our our platform is is catering to people working at an office uh, in either doing bids or doing the tendering, the public procurement. They have their mobile phones. The mobile phone bill will ping. You get the Slack messages and, and everything. So you're, in, you're really in this, this, in this field of where a tent is, is spread up, uh, among so many platforms and, and, and so many devices and so many applications that you kind of need to, to play in this field. And, and how do we play in this field I know that salesforce with their trailhead academy they they do have some some slack integration to to present that learning and that this is addressing this okay our customers they are on slack then let's deliver learning content on slack to our customers so you you really play the game that you're customer or a user or your learner plays. And, and that's where, where I also can see a fit for for, for gamification. So that's that's one issue. That's the, the attention issue. Another issue is, of course, that when it comes to education and learning is talking about metrics. What are good metrics for learning? Is it a good metric if we talk about learner enrollment in our uh, LMS? Uh, or how many flows has been played, or, or what's the 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 underlying cause, or the underlying reason why we have so many enrollments, or why we have so many uh, plays on a flow that tells the the customer how to change their password. So it's it's is that a good metric? I'm not sure. And and learning has this 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 thing that it it takes time before you really can get some some real good evidence out of that. Our learning initiative has solved problem X, but probably you have a lot of initi- initiatives that also are part of this variable. So you can, at most, sometimes you can say we contributed to solve problem X with our learning. So, so, so there is this attention is one issue, metrics, <laughs> a completely different issue that I am actually facing as an ID.
0: I agree. And that's, that's a common issue, when it, even when it comes to information development. And in one of the previous episodes, sales enablement leader, and they were talking about, you know, how do they measure the, the in, impact of their training? And she used a, a phrase that said, time to value, which means they do the, yeah. um, the training, and then they see, and it's basically to sales, right? And you see how from the time they, the person has joined the organization to the time that they're able to pitch and make a sale. know mm-hmm. what is that time duration? That is kind of a very interesting and you know, impactful metric, I thought. Because at the end of the day, when after you're teaching something or after you're learning something, I think the most effective measure would be implementation, right? How are you able to apply what you learned? Now, how do you measure that? And these are usually mm-hmm. done, it could be done offline, online, wherever, but how do you get that measure and then track it back to the stuff that you are creating?
1: Yeah, exactly. And I agree on that. And, and and mostly it will, it will end up to be still being a contributing factor, because if we talk about implementation, or at least the way we do implementation is that you also have uh, customer success managers that, that are part of this process. And we have, uh, I mean, our our ux team is is constantly working on on creating a, a better workflow for our users so i mean learning becomes a contributing factor into that time to value definitely and i mean if you can build a hypothesis that that you've been a, a contributing factor and, and and measure that some way to measure that is of course to say split your 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 learners into trained and untrained and and look at mm-hmm. the difference. And if you say that the the trained are performing better on on some uh, key performance indicators, then you're probably doing a quite good job.
0: But, right. Yeah. That's that's right. So the next question would be: How have digital adoption platforms changed the way people learn? So you've been using what, from maybe two three years now?
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, three four years. That that's. Yeah, three years probably. Yeah, I mean, digital adoption platforms—huge uh, potential for for uh, for um, SaaS companies, uh, especially platforms that are like ours that are hugely configurable. I, I I I always like to paint that picture about about tools like like whatfix digital adoption platforms in general. They are they are the teacher. Or the body that sits uh, on the right or left of you and points on the screen and says, "Hey, buddy, you need to click there to get to place X or Y or Z," and and they they are a way to 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 hold your users' hands on a massive scale because. The tool doesn't care if there's one user or thousands of users on the platform playing the, cell, the same macro on the platform. They will solve the same thing, and if you do that intelligently, then then you have this this side by side body. Something that that's in a similar vein is is how kids these days look on on YouTube and 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 Twitch to see others play. Here we have this similar approach. That's that's. Of course, more uh, contextual, but, but text-based. But this watch and learn and perform the steps, that has a huge impact. And that way I see great potential in, in tools like WhatFix, definitely.
0: Great. You had mentioned how Salesforce uses the Slack, right? And I thought that was a very interesting point because yeah. uh, many customers implement uh, WhatFix on an application, but with the assumption that the user is already there. Like, what if the user is not there Then anything that they are trying to show them is, is not there so you have to actually go to the place where they are and show them information that they should see so so what are your thoughts on other emerging technologies what does the future look like for an ID
1: yeah I mean the future looks bright I, as far as I could see there, there has never been so many open positions in, in L&D so there's huge uh, interest in L&D as a general field and IDs, of course, too. I mean, I believe there's more and more space for for different specializations in in ID, exactly because of so many emerging technologies. Not everyone must be able to to build and code and and do virtual reality. We still need those who can deliver in-person lectures or um, virtual in-class training, so I mean it's about having diverse teams. We need we need the the content writer, we need the person who, who can do the strategy, we need the technologist, the developer, the marketer. There's there's room for everyone. And and this is this is not only because part of the emerging technologies because this is also because the the field itself it it matures every single day and it becomes in 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 sars companies it becomes more and more part of the the end-to-end customer journey and and that's why we we need these uh, diverse teams so in in general i mean it's a it's a it's a growing field and as more and more jobs will be replaced by ai and 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 robots we will need to upskill and reskill the workforce and the future for an id in that sense is, is, is bright even though if that artificial intelligence also will be a contributing factor in our field you will still need some part of human assistance to the ai that's something that will be really really interesting to see this human assisted ai this, this is something that i look forward to
0: completely agree and very well said and uh, with that let's move on to the rapid fire uh, round so quick questions. Maybe one word or a Shoot, phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, happiness to you is?
1: Seeing people grow.
0: Awesome. Uh, the best compliment you have ever received?
1: I would say when my kid tells me that I'm the best dad in the whole wide world on a rainy day.
0: <laughs> Unbeatable. The most innovative thing that you have implemented?
1: Does that have to be work-related?
0: No, it doesn't have to be work-related. Okay. <laughs> it could be something with your kid as well.
1: <laughs> it isn't, but, but okay, this might sound crazy, but I love to build stuff, even though it's kind of meaningless stuff. Just a quick example, one time I built this USB stick-based car computer for our Peugeot that enabled us to mirror our phone screen. That was before cars came with Android Auto and, and Apple CarPlay. So so the, the, the my point is meaningless stuff too. So I if I encounter a problem, I solve it MacGyver style. <laughs> so I'm not always thinking of it as a creative or innovative solution, but let I let others be the judge of it. But this is me in a nutshell, I guess. So so yeah. Do awesome do crazy things i mean do do things that other people would think is, is meaningless that just uh, that's just good for your creativity and and and, and doing innovative stuff
0: absolutely I, I i wanted to say how similar i am with you you know i do a lot of these <laughs> meaningless things I, I do a lot of fabrication this physical work right so welding oh, yeah. stuff together and uh, you know, getting stuff and always get burnt too. <laughs> so yeah. I completely agree with you. And I think it, it really kind of, you know, gets you to that intersection of disciplines. And that's where innovation really happens. When you're doing something totally different, you get an idea exactly.
1: okay,
0: and you try to apply that somewhere else.
1: Exactly. And that, that actually perfectly ties a not to something that we talked about earlier is that when you do this cr- crazy stuff, I put that into quotes now, or meaningless stuff, um, then you will do mistakes because you're not... I, I, I'm So I, even though I have a background in, 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 as a sailor, I'm not a good welder and I'm not a perfectly good coder because I have not studied coding and, and IT development. So, so I do mistakes, but I learn from those mistakes and, and they, they give me some perspective. Uh, and that perspective I take with me in my everyday uh, work life and, and everyday life and in general. So it's a good point from you, Nibu too. <laughs>
0: Excellent. This is uh, this is awesome, Lars. Really uh, enjoyed talking with you. And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to uh, reach out to
1: you? Yeah, sure. Uh, hit me on on LinkedIn. I guess that's the the best place to 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 catch me. I mean, I'm I, I do have Twitter accounts, of course, and Instagram accounts, but but I'm I'm mostly available on LinkedIn. So search me up and and connect with me.
0: Sure, that's, that's awesome. We'll, we'll make sure that your uh, handle is mentioned in the uh, notes of the podcast. Perfect. Uh, so, so once again, thank you so much, Lars, for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, I really enjoyed talking with you and on, uh, wish the podcast all the very best and you too.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure, Nibu Main. Thank you for having me. It's it's been a pleasure. It's it's always great talking about instructional design, career paths. Where are we now, and where are we going? So great journey we've been on. Great journey that what fixes on. So um, happy to to be a part of this. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah.